0: Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to Mission Point. Amen. We are so glad to have you here with us and a part of what is going on. And uh, tonight we have Brother Watson that's going to be coming and delivering the word of the Lord. So would you please greet him as he comes? Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. You can be seated in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. It's so good to be with you tonight. Amen. I'm really just uh, excited and uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to, to speak to you. Amen. I know I mention it every time I'm up here, but you literally can't see anybody out here with these, with the lights. I don't know. I feel like I guess it should take away some of the nerves if you have no idea what faces or people are making, or if they're groaning or grimacing or anything like that. Amen. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, uh, we're turning to Nehemiah chapter six. Going to read verses 15 and 16 just to open. Reading from the New King James Version, it says. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Everyone say, the work was done by God. Amen. And that is a work that will stand. Amen. Let's pray right now. Lord, I love you, Jesus. God, I'm thankful tonight for your presence. I'm thankful for your word. Thankful, Lord Jesus, God, for every person that is made up in their heart and mind, Lord, to be in your house tonight, Lord Jesus, to lift up your name, God, to give you praise and to give you glory. Pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would go forth, God, would find good ground tonight in our heart, Lord Jesus. And God, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory in Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on this topic, rebuild. Rebuild. When I was uh, a young boy, I hope I haven't told this story before. I apologize if I have. Um, we, I had a small television in my room, um, and I lived uh, in the basement at my house where the children went. And... Um, That's where we were kept. It sounds worse than it was. It was very good. Um, But because uh, I lived on a hill surrounded by trees, you didn't get a lot of reception. And uh, if you're, all the young people aren't here, but they might say, what is reception? Um, So we didn't get a lot of channels. Um, And I try to explain this to my children, and it's like I'm talking about the depression, living through it. So, <clears throat> what I did was, um, I took a piece of, uh, this is what we had to do, You had to work for channels back then, you had to work for it, and uh, we took a piece of wire, I took apart a coat hanger from my closet that I'm sure I wasn't supposed to do, took that apart, I found a curtain rod of my mother's, and I stretched that out it as far as it would go, attached the curtain rod to the coat hanger, to the wire, to the TV, ran it through the window, at the top of my bedroom... Up the side of the house and hooked it onto the side of the roof, um, and all of that rewarded me with a semi-fuzzy public broadcasting television it was probably the best channel and occasional occasionally hockey night in Canada, but mostly uh, PBS. However, I discovered very early on in my life through public television through. Programs such as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Reading Rainbow, The Joy of Painting, The Yankee Workshop, to name a few. I was always particularly enthralled and glued to the segments where Mr. Rogers would take what looked like a VHS cassette, slide it into the painting on the wall, and through the magic of television, turn it into a program, and he would play a video about how people would make sneakers or something to that effect. Or LeVar Burton, host of Reading Rainbow, would show how people made bowling balls or something like that. You get the picture. And I have great memories of building toy sets and play sets for even my children on Christmas Eves. And to this day, I love putting stuff together. I love building things. I love seeing things come together. Got a new barbecue you don't want to put together? Give me a call. I love it. Love putting that stuff together. I love seeing things built. I love seeing people create. The process of building just sort of interests me, clicks with me. I've always admired my grandfather. All of my, my grandparents were worthy of admiration. But my Grampy Watson, particularly in his abilities as a carpenter and as a, a woodworker, I was always so amazed at the quality of his craft. Maybe, maybe tonight you don't think about building the way that I do, or creating, but everyone here understands what it is to put something together, to produce some sort of finished product. Maybe you don't do it on a regular basis as far as construction is concerned, but even if you cook or you bake, you understand the creative process of following instructions and and gathering supplies and and seeing it all come together, and then the satisfaction that you have made something. Something. Maybe even as a child, you built models or perhaps even earlier, you can remember playing with blocks and building something to see how tall you could could make it before the laws of physics or sibling rivalry took over and it came tumbling down. No matter what it is tonight, whether it's building something, especially if it's something new for the first time, there's always that that feeling of excitement because you're working towards something, something that interests you, something that you're passionate about. I want to ask you tonight, what about rebuilding? What about having to start over from scratch after there has already been time and energy invested into something to only have it fail and crumble or not succeed? What about that tower that gets knocked down after you spent all your time building at that and all you have is to look at is destruction and the devastation visited upon you most likely by a sibling not quite as fun the second time you probably think i just did this it was all done and it was great i don't i don't want to start over i don't want to do it again or maybe that new barbecue you put the legs on backwards and you have to take it apart and start all over That sure takes the wind out of your old sails, I can tell you that. Maybe you're a sports fan. Any sports fans here tonight? Anyone who knows what it is to have, if you're lucky, a few years or maybe even a generation of dominance in any sport understands that eventually that team is going to go through a rebuild. And everyone said, Yuck, not a rebuild. Chances are it's when someone has retired or wanted more money or whatever, but the team gets broken up and pieces are sent off and you have to start over. And most likely for the next few years, maybe 30, it won't be pretty. Because rebuilds are hard. And they require a lot of sacrifice. They require a lot of work. They require a lot of buy-in from everyone involved. And at first, everyone is so focused on the old days and how we used to be so dominant that they aren't focused on what needs to be happening right now to rebuild and move on. So it's not, it's not fun. Sometimes we have to rebuild things that have broken down in our lives from scratch. And we might have to do it over and over again to get them where they need to be, or more specifically, where God is calling for them to be. And it's not something that we can do alone. We do it together. We do it with Jesus Christ who is leading us so that at the end of the day, the product that we have built is what God has intended for us, not always what we intended for ourselves. Today, I want us to look at a man named Nehemiah who felt compelled to take on an incredible task, a rebuild of great importance that would test him And his people, God's people. The book of Nehemiah tonight opens in the Persian city of Susa in the year 444 B.C. The narrative concludes around the year 430 B.C. And scholars believe that the book was written shortly after. Tonight we're just going to be looking at chapters 1 to 6. There's a massive amount of information contained here. Obviously we don't have time to cover every single verse So I want to summarize as much as possible and hit the key points that I really want to share with you. But just, we're going to begin at chapter 1. I want to read through the first 11 verses. Uh, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in Shusan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem... And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, unfaithful, excuse me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand, O oh, Lord, I pray, please... Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You have to understand that Nehemiah is so moved with incredible compassion on the situation of his people who are at Jerusalem. See, this is is his first time really hearing of what's going on at his home and he's hears the state of the people of the city and he weeps but he doesn't just get upset he doesn't just get depressed he doesn't just feel bad that his home that the walls are burnt and gone and that people are living in poverty no he goes and he takes it to the lord in prayer and fasting He is seeking the Lord for help for his brothers and his sisters. He is repentant of any sin and wrongdoing that's in his past. And he wants to return and he wants to correct the ways of his people. Now Jerusalem at this time has really just started to recover. The temple was beginning to function again. People were starting to return from captivity. Two waves have already come back. However, the walls were still destroyed and the gates were still burnt down. They were vulnerable to the surrounding areas, to the people that would try to attack and to destroy them. It was a very perilous situation. And Nehemiah, he's not really in an easy spot. He is this, he's not a prophet. He's not part of the priesthood. He's simply a layman who is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. I did a little bit of a study into that. I was curious about that, What a, the role of the cupbearer don't be fooled. Nehemiah was no slouch. See, this, this was not a small-time gig. This was a big-time position. He had some influence. He had the ear of the king over certain matters. History tells us that Nehemiah would have had a very comfortable life, even in exile, being the king's cupbearer. He would have access to good resources and an education. But understand tonight that position and comfort can never compare to the promises of God. And that is what Nehemiah was missing. He was not in his promised home. Nehemiah knew in his heart that Jerusalem was his promised home, and he felt compelled to rebuild what the enemy had broken down. He had position. That's great. He had influence. That's wonderful. But he did not have the promise. That is what was missing from his life. Understand tonight, mission point, that no amount of success in this life can compare to the promises of God in your life. No amount at all it stands to reason that Nehemiah was a man who the king thought was trustworthy. He had close access to the king. You don't let just anybody hang around the ruler of the kingdom. You don't let just anybody keep an eye over his drink and pass him his drink because he's trying to keep people from poisoning him. And we'll see in chapter 2 that Nehemiah's relationship with the king is what opens the door for him to go on this mission. Chapter 2 begins, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire it's quite a thing when you think about it like how amazing is it that after all that time he had never in his position ever had a sad countenance in front of the king so much that the king said what what's going on Nehemiah like I could tell there's something wrong like your your face is all upset and Then the king said to me, what do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to pass through till I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Now when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Nehemiah, he takes this opportunity presented it to him to unburden his situation and his heart's desire to the king. He is granted leave to go for a time to help his people and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He even makes sure to have the king write him letters for proof that this is the king's order, as well as letters that he would need to retain the supplies for the rebuilding process. See, every decision that Nehemiah made was calculated. It was thought out, and he was going to need it for all the opposition that was to come. See, we are introduced in that last verse to the main characters of opposition in the final part of that passage, we read that Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. And these, are the, these are the bullies. I think that's the best way to describe them. And Sam Ballett, he's the he's the ringleader, along with Tobiah. They were regional governors of the surrounding areas under the king of Persia, under the same king. And they were part of the people that were originally driven out when God's people came to the promised land, the Horonites and the Ammonites. So they attempted to disrupt Nehemiah at every turn, just to kind of give you an idea of who they are and where they came from. For the sake of of time, I encourage you to read chapters 3 to 6, not right now. We'll be here all night if we go through it verse by verse. I don't know what we could do by show of hands if that's what you want to do. We, no, I'm just joking. So we're just gonna. I just want to kind of summarize what happens through the through the chapters. Chapter three: Everybody works together to build the wall. Everybody chips in to see that the wall is rebuilt. The Bible goes through and talks through all the different families that had a part in it. And all the different things that they did. And some families worked on this aspect of the wall. And some of them worked on the gates. And some of them worked on the gathering of different materials and doing this. And it shows how everybody pitched in and everybody worked together as one to see this happen. Now we come to chapter 4 and Sam Ballad and Tobiah. They're so distraught over how much success that the children of Israel are having in rebuilding this wall. That they think, okay, we're going to have to do something here. We're going to have to step in. It says that they mock them. They talk bad about them, and they said, what do these feeble Jews, what do they think that they're going to be able to do? Tobiah even comes, he says one time, he says, I bet you if a fox walks up to that wall and brushes his tail against it, it'll just fall over. They're talking a bunch of smack, thinking they're all that. And so they begin to send people in to attack the workers on the wall. So Nehemiah comes up with a plan. He says, okay, we have to make sure that nobody is ever working alone. And they instituted a system where if a group was attacked, there was always going to be somebody nearby who could sound an alarm and that there would be reinforcements that would be close by that would come to help. The Bible tells us that people would work with one hand and they would fight or defend with the other. And there were shifts where some would build and others would stand by and protect them so that the work was able to go forth. In chapter 5, Even with all the progress that has been made, the work gets threatened again, but this time it's not because of external issues, it's internal. The people were being taxed so heavily that they couldn't afford to feed their families. And they were doing all this work to build the walls and to build the gates that they weren't doing the regular work that they had to do so that everything was taken care of. And they go to Nehemiah, and they're distraught, and they, they can't make ends meet. And Nehemiah, he gets really upset at first, but the Bible tells us that he takes a minute, essentially. And he calms down, and he figures out a situation. And he finds out that it's, it's not people outside of Jerusalem that are causing the problem. It is people who are very well off, who hold high positions inside of Jerusalem, that are taxing the people to the point where they can't afford to live. And he says, what are you doing to your brothers? This is on you. This is your fault. And he convicts them in their heart. And they say, you know what? You're right. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop taxing people the way that we have been. And more than that, we're going to give back everything that we've taken that we shouldn't have taken. And they restore to everybody everything that they were taxed that they should not have been. And the work is able to go forward. In chapter 6... Things are really rolling now. The wall is almost done. Sam Ballad and Tobiah are beside themselves. And they think, we've got to take care of Nehemiah. The attacks didn't work, so what are we going to do? So they try on four different occasions to get Nehemiah to come outside the walls. And they say, you know what? We really don't think that the king is letting you do this. And they start to spread all these rumors, and they start to spread all these lies. And they even have false prophets begin to speak against Nehemiah. And every time he says, you know what? don't worry about it, I'm staying right here, because this is where I am supposed to be doing what God has called me to do. He says, you guys can talk all you want, I know what authority I have to be here, and he stayed right where he was doing what God called him to do. He didn't budge, and the Bible tells us in a matter of 55 days, a miracle in itself, that the wall was rebuilt. And we come to our text Verse 16, and it happened when all of our enemies heard it, and all of the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that the work was done by our God. Understand tonight, church, when our God is the author of the work that is going on in your life, the enemy can't touch it. The enemy can't destroy it. The enemy can't compete with it. Nehemiah is an amazing account of perseverance and faithfulness and teamwork and God's provision, but most importantly, it speaks to us today of the importance and the necessity of rebuilding the things in our lives that the enemy has broken down or that we have neglected and are in disrepair rebuilding the walls of separation from the world so that we are not destroyed by sin, rebuilding those habits and disciplines of prayer and devotion so that we are constantly growing and moving towards Him, rebuilding relationships, uh, rebuilding trust. Those things are not easy tonight, uh, but they are exceedingly important. Now, I know that we're only a month and a bit here into 2023. Maybe you had big plans for 2023. How's that going? I hope it's going great. But for many, it maybe didn't go as well as you wanted it to. If it's not going how you'd like, it is not time to quit. Just because rebuilding is hard does not mean that it is impossible, and it does not mean that it is not worth it. From what we've learned in Nehemiah, I just want to share three steps tonight three steps to rebuilding that I think can really help us if you'll allow me. And number one is to get rid of the rubble. Clean out the stuff that's broken. Clean out everything that's been burned down. Get rid of the stuff that you know is not helping you on your journey. Nehemiah and the children of Israel, they weren't going to use the rubble. They weren't going to use the old burnt wood to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They used new materials, and they started fresh, and they didn't use their own materials. No, they got the king to supply the materials that they were going to need, and everything that you need in your life is in Jesus Christ tonight. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will supply everything that you need to build in your life. We come to Jesus, and we can be broken for so many reasons. We could have been hurt in the past and never recovered or resolved that. We come to Him broken in sin in a sinful world, living in separation from Jesus Christ. And there is no way tonight that we can rebuild on a foundation of sin. It just, it doesn't work. It is broken and it is unstable. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 10 that reads, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. You know, when I first read that, I read it by itself and I thought, wow, that's amazing. It says they're going to rebuild and they're going to use hewn stones stronger. And they're going to use strong cedars over weak sycamores. And they're going to rebuild stronger than before. But when I go back and I read that scripture in context of what's happening around this verse, it is not as it seems. We start at verse 8. It says, the Lord sent a word against Jacob and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against them and spur his enemies on, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. Israel had been attacked and beat down because of disobedience and idolatry. And instead of returning back to God, their deliverer, they got prideful and they got full of arrogance and said in their hearts, you know what, so what? We'll just build it up better. And we'll do it all by ourselves because we don't need you, God. And I want to tell you tonight, the worst thing that we could ever do when our lives are broken is to become so stubborn and full of pride that we refuse to let Jesus come to our rescue. Understand that Jesus, He is our hope tonight. He went to the cross for you and I and He took care of our sin if we're willing to give Him the brokenness of our past and of our present. Ask Him to forgive us and to heal us uh, because He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins. His Word tells us that today. He gives us that fresh start and that clean slate to, to build on in our lives. He doesn't leave us there to figure it out on our own. He leads us and He guides us through His Word and through His Spirit. And the things that He will build into your life Cannot be broken down. Number two is find people to help you. We need Jesus. We also need one another. I need to be accountable to somebody. I need people that I can talk to. I need people that I can confide in. I need a church. I need a body of believers who can help me and who I can help. In Nehemiah 3, everybody got a different task some worked on the wall, some got materials, some worked on the gates, some hung the gates. But everyone worked towards the same goal. Chapter 4, verse 6, they it says that they had a mind to work. One mind, a single vision, a single focus. And do you know that when you decide to rebuild a new life in Jesus, you know, the enemy is not going to like that. You might have some friends that aren't going to like that. You might even have some family that aren't going to like that. And in Nehemiah's day, they faced opposition externally, even internally, but they made sure to stay together. And when the enemy came, they made sure that nobody was alone, and that they worked together in teams. And when someone was attacked, they made sure that there was some way that they could find out and run and help them. We need people to feel comfortable to sound the alarm. Church, we need to be willing to go and to help them when they're sounding the alarm. Some worked while others defended some built and others who were stronger covered their backs and allowed them to build i'd like to think that we as a church are willing to protect and defend those who are hurting those who the enemy is attacking those who might be new and are still working on building a foundation we need to protect each other and be there for one another And work together when someone is trying to rebuild things in their life through Jesus Christ because they are precious in his sight tonight. Number three, ignore the distractions and keep moving forward. And Nehemiah, he faced off against Sambalad and Tobiah numerous times and they tried different times to get him out in the open to physically harm him and to kill him and they spread lies and rumors and threatened him and they mocked him. And you'll face distractions when you're trying to rebuild good things in your life, when you're trying to build good habits and build good discipline in your life to grow in your walk with God, there will be no end of distractions and things that try to get you off track and get you looking look in other places. But Nehemiah kept his focus on the reason he was there, the promise, and he never lost sight of the authority that was behind him. There were many times he was threatened. He just said, don't worry about it. The king sent me. It doesn't matter what they say because I understand that the authority behind me is greater than the threats around me. Understand tonight that you are a child of the King today. And the authority over you in Jesus will always be greater than whatever threats surround you. So stay focused on the goal today. Stay focused on what Jesus is building in your life. And just keep going forward. We all stand tonight. So if I could leave you with anything, I'll leave you with this. Ask yourself, where are you at today? Are there relationships in your life that need a rebuild? Is God steering the ship of your life or have things broken down? What about your prayer life? What about your devotions? What's the state of your mind today? If there's a part of your life that's not functioning the way that you know it should in Jesus, maybe those lines of communication have broken down. Maybe trust has broken down. Maybe sin has broken you and separated you, and you feel like it's just broken walls and burnt gates everywhere, and the enemy is coming in like a flood. And I want you to know tonight that that's not God's plan for you. That God wants to rebuild in you today, just like He called Nehemiah and the children of Israel to rebuild those walls around Jerusalem. When those walls were down, Jerusalem was exposed. Had no protection. And when we're broken in sin, we are exposed to this world and we are separated from our Creator. And He wants to rebuild today. He wants to restore today. He wants to restore that relationship today. And you can have that. You can have that forgiveness from brokenness and sin. Yes, you can. At an altar of repentance. I think it would be all right to lift our hands and just worship Him for just a minute. Would you do that? Would you just reach out to Him right now? Would you talk to Him for just a minute before we leave this place? Lord Jesus, I love you tonight, God. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for every person that's in this place, Lord Jesus. God, no matter where they are at in their journey, God, in their walk with you, Lord Jesus... I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to build on our walk with God through you tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray, God, no matter what brokenness, Lord Jesus, that we might have brought with us tonight. Lord, I pray, God that we would leave it here at the altar lord jesus god we would leave all the brokenness of yesterday lord jesus god leave it behind and start a new life god in you in jesus name lord i pray god that you begin to speak begin to touch god begin to move in this place lord jesus god that you touch every life god that you touch every heart lord god we give you all the praise god tonight we give you all the glory lord jesus god i don't want leave anybody to leave tonight god feeling like there's no hope i don't anybody to leave this place tonight to feeling broken, Lord Jesus. God, because everything that they need tonight they can find in you. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you Jesus. we give you praise, God, we give you glory. Thank you Jesus. thank you Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I worship you Jesus. I worship you Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Maybe you're at a place tonight where the promise of God in your life has gotten derailed. Maybe there was a time that you felt called to a ministry or a place of service and you got distracted and you got busy. But I want you to understand tonight that that foundation is still there. It might have gotten neglected for a little bit. It might have got pushed to the side. But what God started in your life, He is more than able to finish. I want to encourage you tonight to go after that promise to let God build that ministry in your life for that place of service that he put into your heart because God is so good, amen, and he wants to do it through you tonight. Praise God. I want to thank you so much for your attention tonight and for everyone that came out or watched online. I appreciate it so much, amen, for your attention. Amen, let's pray one more time before we leave. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I'm thankful tonight, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, God, that we're able to come into your house, Lord, to lift our hands and to lift our hearts, to worship your name, Jesus. I'm thankful, God, that even though there are times, Lord, that we struggle and times that we might be broken, Lord, I'm so thankful tonight, God, that you do not leave us that way, Lord Jesus, that we do not have to stay that way, Lord. God, that we can be made and rebuilt new again in your presence, Lord Jesus. I'm so thankful tonight, God, for the power of your spirit, Lord, and for the power of your word, God. I pray, Lord, that you would go with us, Lord Jesus, right now, God, and you would be with us the rest of this week, Lord, as we go out into our workplaces, Lord, God, or wherever we might be, Lord Jesus, and that you would work through us, God, and let us be a light, God, to a world that is broken and a world that is dying, Lord Jesus. God, and you bring us back, Lord, on Sunday for a mighty outpouring of your Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.